1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, and, and most people, scholars believe that's Silas, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Not only are we saved by the grace of God, the Bible tells us we stand in the grace of God. It's like a position where we remain and are continually dependent upon God's grace and recipients of His grace, which we're going to talk about more tonight. The church that is at Babylon uh, elected together with you, salute, salute you, and so doth Marcus, my son. That is John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, the one that's uh, mentioned in the book of Acts as well. The younger, uh, that Peter, it's believed that Peter actually led him to the Lord. He traveled with uh, Paul and Barnabas for a while. And so that's who this is. Uh, and, and Peter calls him my son. It wasn't his literal son, but his son of the faith. Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so let's back up to verse 10. And I want you to see what a contrast. Y'all remember what we talked about last week. And if you don't, look back to verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And so we're moving from that into what a difference between this adversary that we have that afflicts us and brings tries to, to, to come against our lives and, and the strength that we receive from the Lord, the God of all grace, who has called you unto eternal glory and uh, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is the scripture that we're going to talk about primarily tonight. Honestly, why? And, and Peter is encouraging and exhorting these people. These are believers that are going through great trials and afflictions. Every believer goes through trials and afflictions. I think that's pretty clear from the Word of God. And we ought not be uh, surprised. We ought not think it's strange. We've talked a lot about going through trials. When we studied Hebrews, those believers were being persecuted both by the Jewish brothers and by the world. And we see here uh, these believers scattered in these different parts of the, the world where they were uh, are being persecuted. And so the exhortation is coming to keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep trusting God. There's not another answer, really, when you think about it. Where would we go? We're going to get into a trial and we're going to bail? You know, we're just going to give up on this thing and bail out? No, we're going to go through uh, the trials and afflictions with the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the light righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. That's what the Scripture says. One way or another, God Almighty, you're not just going to get through it. The Lord's going to deliver you through them all. There's not one trial or affliction you'll go through as a believer that God won't deliver you out of. And He'll get the credit, and He'll get the glory, and He wants us to know that He's the one that's doing it. He lets us go through trials, and He helps us trust in Him, and He brings us through the trials. They're not an accident. Okay? And so, uh, the, the attacks that Satan brings upon our lives, the Lord, uh, you would have to say from the Word of God, allows them or permits them to an extent in our life to, to help us to realize our dependency upon the Lord. 
that's what it does. If we're feeling self-sufficient, if we're feeling like we're, on, we're coasting and things are going pretty well, you have a trial and affliction, and up to now we'd be able, we've been able to handle things, and now we quickly realize this is beyond my fixing it. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know that in every trial. So it drives us to the Lord. And what do we call upon? We're calling upon the Lord for grace. When I think of grace, it's not just uh, the grace by which we're saved. It's the graces of God, I guess you would say, are these giftings or bestowings of the Lord that He graciously gives to people. His grace, you could say that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon a believer's life as an act of His grace, right? Uh, strength in the midst of trials. An extra amount of strength or measure of strength from the Lord. That would be grace. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about um, grace that... that uh, by which our sins are pardoned and forgiven, for example, but the grace of God by which we stand. Because the Scriptures say, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Continue in the grace of God. Be strong in the grace of God. Stand in the grace of God. You're saved by the grace of God. And so we understand that. And, uh, but these trials drive us to the Lord. And the Bible says that in Him, speaking of Jesus, in Colossians uh, chapter 2, 9 and 10, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in Him you are full. That's pretty amazing. That in Christ, God has put all of Himself, so to speak, in Christ. And then He says, in, in Christ, you're full. All of our needs are met. And we're, everything, every sufficiency, we have all sufficiency that we need for life. Whether it's a physical thing, a spiritual thing, or end times, deception, whatever's coming against our life, it's, we don't have to look elsewhere. The, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it says, and in Him you are made full. So we're filled up with goodness, and peace, and joy, and wisdom, and all that we have need of. It's just another act of His grace or not, another outpouring of His grace. And He has no limit to it. And that's, I praise the Lord for that. There's a story about Edinburgh Castle over there in, in England. And it's perched up on these big rock, uh, rocky cliffs and nobody can really get to it. Only one time in its history was it ever uh, captured by an enemy. And what happened was there was a shepherd, shepherd boy, that knew this back way and he led a little small band of soldiers up this back way. They had, had this castle guarded all the way around, but on the back side where it was these steep rocks and cliffs, they said nobody would possibly come up that way. So they didn't fortify it. They didn't defend it. Well, the enemy came up that way, and this little shepherd boy leads him up there, and he took over. Well, it was recaptured back later. But some good came out of it. What good came out of it was that they, they realized, hey, we've got we've to be more on guard. They had left some area unguarded, because in their minds, they thought we couldn't possibly be attacked here. And so I thought it was a good illustration because Satan comes against our lives and sometimes we feel very strong and fortified in some area and we might leave it unguarded uh, and think that well, that's way, we're way past that now. And it's amazing how quickly any of us, and I mean any of us, can fall into a, a, a temptation or a sin or a cursing or something where or fear, we're overwhelmed with fear or doubt or compromise or waywardness from Christ. 
how quickly we can do it if we leave that unguarded. So uh, I just thought it was a good example because Satan, our adversary, is going to come against us. And what these, what these trials do, like I said, they ought to drive us to Christ. Press in closer and closer. Okay? We don't get stronger and more. We do get stronger in the Lord, but we don't get more independent of the Lord the longer we're a Christian. Where it's like we just kind of chest puffed out and I've been a Christian for so long and I can quote all the fruit of the Spirit, you know, and I know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I can name all 12 disciples and on and on. And, and I know that lesson and I've taught that lesson. And I thank God for all those things. And we do grow in Christ. And I thank the Lord for that. But we don't become independent of the Lord. Anybody you talk to that's had any kind of walk with the Lord worthwhile, they're going to tell you, no, I grew closer to the Lord. I realized every breath that my dependency upon Christ. I didn't become self-sufficient. I learned that in me dwells nothing good. Okay? And I have to trust in the Lord. So by faith, we press into Jesus even more. And so He has grace for, for, for every occasion, every situation. Amen? And it drives us to those trials drive us to the Lord. Now I want to talk about our destiny or where, where the believer ends up. So let's look back at verse 10. The God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory. And so that's almost too good to be true. I think we just read the words and it's Bible words and we just kind of called us to his eternal glory and we keep rolling. But there's nothing else that compares to the glory of God. He is the uncreated eternal God. Everything we see that has glory and splendor to it is because God put His fingerprint on it or His touch on it in some way in a life that He's redeemed. And I think that's where He gets most glory of all is through somebody in His image that's been redeemed and born again, living fully unto God. But even in creation and and different things and works of God and acts of God, He's glorified. But He has, has called us to His eternal glory. And so... Uh, that's part of our destiny. That's what He has for us. And I want you to t- keep your spot there, but let's turn to... Uh, keep your spot in First Peter and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're just going to read a few verses and then we'll go back. Romans 5, verse 5. Let's see, I'm sorry, I want to pick up verse 2. 2 through 5. But whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he's speaking here about the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. That's what we've been talking about also, knowing that the tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There again, it's talking about the trials. If we're by faith seeking God, the trials we're going to see and understand that they're drawing us to the Lord. And in the end, there is being a partaker of His glory in the end. And that's what He's telling us here. You can turn back to First Peter. But it's almost like it's too good to be true. And we're before too long, y'all, and I think sometimes I, I'm guilty, probably more guilty of anybody, of thinking that that's... If you ask me, do I believe in the rapture? Yes. If you ask me, do I believe I'm going to see the Lord face to face? Absolutely. I preach on it and I would be moved by the sermon, and I'm fully convinced of it. If you ask me, do I, am I consciously aware of that every moment? I would say not like I should be. That that, before we know it, we could be 
surrounded by the glory of God. In the presence of this uncreated God. And it's going to be unbelievable. Unbelievably wonderful. Okay? It's going to be amazing. And the Lord has that for us. And Jesus said this. This this was His request. Father, this is right before He was going to the cross. He's with His disciples that last night. Father, I will that they whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory. The Lord wants His disciples to see His glory. That's a big thing to Him. And we think it's going to be great and wonderful, but Jesus knows how it's going to be. It's going to be beyond what we could comprehend. And everybody's not going to see the Lord's glory. There are some people that are just going to, they might, they'll appear at the great white throne judgment, they're lost, and, and it says the heavens and earth are fleeing away, and it's a dreadful scene, and it's a fearful scene, and there's nothing, no, not mercy and grace being bestowed because they're already lost. They rejected Christ, those at that judgment, and it's going to be fearful, and it's going to be, but we're going to get to see him. Uh, in His glory. And you remember Moses? He says, Lord, if I've found grace in Your sight, let me see Your what? Your glory. It's a big thing to God. The glory of God. Um, and Jesus granted His request, but even that was for a little brief time. He passed by, right? Hit Him in the cliff of the rocks. And He says, I'll let you see My back parts because you're not able to see My face. That's what God said. He's a human being who by faith loved God, walked with the Lord, God granted him his request, but even if that was limited, right? It was still limited. And the, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus took with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, on the Mount of the Lord. It's in every Gospel, I believe. It's spoken up. And they see the Lord, and this cloud overshadows them. They see Him change before Him, in a, and He's shining bright and white, and they had never seen Him like this before. That was for a little brief time. And and then a shot, you know the cloud overshadowed them and so forth, but we're going to get to see him eternally and get to see him with no veil. You know what I mean? There's just there's not going to be anything between us and him, and it's going to be okay. And we're not going to die. You know we're going to be. He's going to keep us, and we're going to be fit for that and prepared for that. You know in the in the Old Testament where it's talking about the king of. Uh, Solomon, David's son, was the second king after David, right? And David had been a man of war. And he had fought battles and killed a lot of people and, and won a lot of victories in Jesus' name that God won through him. And he, God put it on his heart to, to build the temple, right? He got all the built. God gave him the plans, the specific plans. He gave him... Uh, favor with different people to cut the timber and had all the materials brought and the workers were ready and everything was set to go. And David says to his son Solomon, I'm getting old. You're about to take over. Rise and build the temple. Well, he did. And in Solomon's day, there was no wars. It was his kingdom. He was not perfect by any stretch, but that kingdom was representative of the Lord's kingdom because there was peace and riches and wealth and happiness and prosperity and on all fronts and all corners and everybody was happy. And the Queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon and all these proverbs that he's written in his wisdom and, and the riches. And he, she goes, i got to go see this myself. So she takes a big entourage and goes over there. And after seeing, she, w- she just was overwhelmed. 
she said that the half has not been told. This is amazing. You know, when I see your throne and I see the approach up to your throne of the steps and I see uh, everything around you and your wisdom. He says, Happy are thy men, happy are all the, these thy servants which stand continually before thee. Now that's just with the earthly king. Yes, he was special in the sense that God made him king and God made Solomon besides Christ, the wisest man that ever lived. But he's still just a human being, a sinful man. And she was overwhelmed by him and the kingdom and his servants and everybody was happy and it was just like nothing she'd ever seen before. Imagine what we're going to see and behold with our own eyes. The glory of the Lord, not the glory of Solomon and his kingdom. And it was wonderful. But that's not to be compared to what we're going to see. We're going to not only behold it and see it like we're watching a movie, we're going to share in it. We're going to share in it. The, Jesus said, the glory which thou gavest me. Now I think he's praying this to his father. The glory which you gave me, I've given them. And so he makes us co-heirs. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Um, we're sharers in, in these riches and participators, the Bible says, of his partakers of his, his divine nature. Now that's different than any other glory, and it's different than even just watching it. Oh, I get to peek in and see it. We're part of it. We're part of that. That's going to be part of our life and part of our kingdom that we're part of. And we're, He wants us to be. He calls us joint heirs. The glory which the Father's given Jesus, He says, I've given them. That's amazing when you really think about it. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one. And so this glory that we're going to, he says, is a partaker of his eternal glory. He's called us into eternal glory. I think the eternal part, uh, obviously it speaks of it's never ending. We understand that. But I also think it speaks of uh, the fact that it's not going to corrupt or perish. You know what I'm saying? It's not... Uh, it's not going to pass away. It also speaks to me that it's untainted by sin. It's perfect. And that new heaven, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, and nobody that makes a lie or defile, you know, is ever going to enter in there and defile that kingdom. It's untainted. This world, as beautiful as it is, it's very much tainted and corrupted. It's spinning down, okay? Spiraling down. It's wearing out. And the Lord and the Bible says, like a garment, you're going to change it and it shall be changed. But that new creation, and with Christ being the there's no need of the sun because Christ will be the light. The Lamb of God will be the light thereof. And so forth. That's going to be not only eternal in in duration, but eternal and it's imperishable and it's perfect and it's untainted in every way. And I just, again, I thank the Lord that we get to be part of this. Um, And God has promised it to us and He's not ridiculing us or mocking us. He's not dangling something in front of us and then not going to deliver and produce that for us. The Bible says, I had not seen, 1 Corinthians 2, nor ear heard, and that's quoted from the Old Testament as well, neither has entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. He says, but the Spirit has revealed them. So there's a knowledge by the Holy Ghost that it's real. And He may give us glimpses of it. He may give us moments where we, we, we can taste it almost or feel it or sense it. And, and I thank God for that. It's like a, the Holy Ghost gives the earnest in our hearts 
in that down payment, so to speak, of heaven. I'm not in heaven now. I'm walking the streets of Baton Rouge. Okay? And I'm hot and sweaty and, and just sinners and all kinds of stuff and me wrestling temptation and all that's going on around me. But in my heart, in the heart of every believer, there's this assurance. It's real. He showed me. You know, we haven't seen it all and partaken of it all, but it's a promise and it's an assured promise. Because the Holy Ghost is like that down payment in our hearts. Yep, it's going to be. It's going to be that way. What you're tasting, the Spirit has revealed it. Amen? And He's going to bring it up. A lost man does not have a clue. They don't. They don't have a clue. When I was lost, I didn't know. I could hear the Scriptures and nod my head, but a lost man does not know like we know what's coming and the promise that we have. Well, what's the path? You know, before I say that, a lost man, if you talk to him about Jesus and the Gospel and tell him about heaven and how wonderful it's going to be, a lot of times the first thing a lost person will do is think of all the things they have to give up. Right? Ah, I've got to give up drinking and i got to give up this and i got to give up that and i got to give up sleeping in on Sundays and fishing on Sundays or going water skiing or watching football all day. i got to give up. And a lost man instantly thinks of all that they have to give up if they're even considering it. Okay? But if they would see for a moment what they would receive... All that little other stuff would be that's just trash. That's just nothing that we would we would throw it away because it's it's nothing compared. Well what's the uh, what's the pathway to get there? Let's look back at verse ten. He says, after halfway through the verse, after that you have suffered a while. Okay, here we talk about suffering again. We don't like to talk about suffering, but that is our pathway. And it's, it's inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. We see it in Old Testament. We see it in New Testament. We see it in the lives of some of the most godly, holy men and women of faith that ever lived. Great trials and great tribulations, often and long and hard. Trials and tribulations. In every one of them, at some point when they yielded to the Lord by faith, it worked something of a far more eternal weight of glory in their life. That's what Paul talks about. That's the pathway there. Uh, through much tribulation, the Bible says, we have to pass. Through much tribulation, that's how we're going to get there. doesn't mean that we're earning our salvation by the scars and our battle scars. Christ has won that for us. But between our salvation and the, when we walk into the glory, okay, between here and there, there's a lost world. And there's a lot that the Lord wants us to do. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're passing through. Okay? It's not our home, and it's temporary. Strangers and pilgrims. It means it's not our home, the world, for believers, and it's temporary. Both of those. And so we're passing through, and through this life, we're going through afflictions. Think about this. No cross, no crown. No Gethsemane, then there's no empty grave on the other side. That would be a Gethsemane first. Um, no, uh, no, no cup of sorrow, then no cup of joy. No cry of forsakenness, Father, why did you forsake me? Then no portion with the great. All who suffer are not necessarily, I love this statement that the author made, not all that suffer are not necessarily glorified, but none are glorified who have not somehow suffered. I'll say it again. All who suffer are not necessarily glorified. 
lost people suffer for different things, right? They stay lost. They're not going to be glorified. And they're suffering maybe for their own sins. And they're, you know, there's no glory for that. All who suffer are not necessarily glorified. But none are glorified who have not, to some measure, suffered. That's just God's chosen way. Some more than others, right? Right now on this planet, there are people that suffer for Christ a whole lot more than we do. And there are some people that suffer less than we do. But that's just a fact. We must drink of this cup if we want to sit on His left hand and right hand in the kingdom. Like He told Peter, I mean, John and James. And so, uh, and so we have to drink from His cup. So we've got to take heart as long as the suffering is not self-inflicted. You know what I mean by that? If I have shot myself in the foot by sinning, by compromising, by prayerlessness, disobedience, meanness, you know, whatever it may be, unchristlikeness, it's just plain old sin. There's forgiveness for that. But there's not necessarily going to be glory for that. So we don't want our, our sufferings to be self-inflicted. I have had self-inflicted suffering in my life. Okay, and recently, it's, there's no glory in that. There's forgiveness for that. We repent. But there's other trials and tribulations um, that arise from a sinful world around us that's contrary to us. There's a sinful world around you and I that's contrary to us. That does not like our life or our God or our way of life or manner of life and our righteousness that brings a, a condemnation or conviction upon their unholiness and sinful life. They don't like it. And so a lot of times there's uh, trials and afflictions because of that. But we choose it. We choose to walk with God knowing this, this road's not going to be the easy road. The road with Christ is the blessed life, but it's not the easy life. It's just not. Nowhere is it promised to be that. And so uh, suffering is necessary to, to work in the character of the life of the believer. We've talked a lot about that, right? Suffering is necessary to work the character and the Christ-likeness in our life. I just want to read this Scripture. We studied in Hebrews. If you're taking notes, it's Hebrews 2.10. The last part of Hebrews 2.10. It says that God chose to make the captain of their salvation, that's Christ, perfect through suffering. Perfect doesn't mean like sinless because He was already sinless. Perfect there means complete or it means uh, thoroughly or to restore. So His purpose in, com- whole purpose in coming to the earth, it was completed through suffering. It was God the Father's plan for His Son. It wasn't just to, to have the palm branches and everybody saying Hosanna in the highest for 33 and a half years and to walk off and sit on a, a throne. It was to be spat upon and mocked and cursed and rejected, scorned, uh, came unto his own, his own received him not, uh, to have no place to lay his head, no certain dwelling place. And so the captain of our salvation, God the Father said, it's my plan to make him complete through suffering. Well, that's the pathway for us and God uses it. And Christ was in the same school, so to speak, of suffering as we are. There are lessons that can be learned, lessons of obedience only through trials. It's not my choice. It's not my doing or my invention. It's God in His goodness and in His wisdom saying that there's things that can only be learned through trials and sufferings. And um, there's no other way that we can learn it. 
Okay? And you, we always talk about the refining fire. The only way that gold can be purified is not scrubbing it with water, taking a nice warm bath, soaking your gold and silver in a nice warm room temperature tub or a cool pool. And the, you know, it's, clean, it's cleansed only by being tried in the furnace of affliction, a furnace. And it's heated up and it's agitated. And then the dross and the impurities come to the top and they're skimmed away. And God says, this is how it is for the life of my people. The lives of my people. That's how He's chosen to, to do it. And we have Christ's companionship in it all. Christ's companionship in it all. Now I'm going to bring this to a close, but it's important that we understand that. We have to constantly remind ourselves like Moses. I always, go to, I always think about Moses in Hebrews 11 where it says, by faith, what did he do? He forsook the riches of Egypt, the treasures of Egypt, and what did he do? How did he do that? What was it that he saw? What was it that he knew? What was it that he believed? Because he could see those riches physically. He could see the life of luxury and ease that his life would have had and power and prominence. And he could see that physically, but what it says, by faith he forsook it, uh, esteeming the riches of Christ uh, great reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He endured by faith as seeing Him who is invisible. He saw Christ. And we're talking about the glory, right? Kind of getting back to it. Did Moses live an easy life? No. He could have lived an easy life. He grew up 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. That's no fun. Okay? In Midian in the desert, you know, tended sheep and it's hot and sweaty. And stinky sheep out there. No fun. It's lonely and he's just out there 40 years. Then he goes back in. He starts because God calls him. And he's mocked and ridiculed and rejected and get out of my face and I'm not letting the people go. And who's God that I should obey him? And even the Jewish people said, you hadn't helped us at all, Moses. You didn't deliver us. You made it worse for us. And so this is what's going on. And then God does bring them out. And then all the people rebelling against God. And he's like the babysitter. Uh, an advocate between God and the people, pleading for the people, all of this, and then he doesn't even physically get to go into that promised land. But he, he went through what he went through, and if you said, Moses, right now, if we could talk to Moses right now, is it worth it, Moses? What do you think he would say? Absolutely. There'd be no question about it. And I want to ask you here tonight, those that are living for God and have walked with God and you've been through trials and you've been through afflictions and you're going to go through more and so am I. And I would have to ask you right now, do you believe it's worth it? Do you really believe what the Bible says? That we're going to be, uh, His glory is going to be revealed. Not only like a motion picture, but we're going to be partakers of it. And that's going to be our atmosphere and our climate and our environment that we live in. And He has chosen to humble Himself and make Himself a joint heir with sinful people like us, redeemed by His own blood, making us, calling us His brothers and His friends. Christ, this uncreated God. Do you believe that that's true? Because you and I better believe it not only in our minds, there are going to be things that attack our faith and trials and tribulations that attack our faith. And we start getting dry and dusty and wondering and, and sad and hurt and lonely and, and painful and sleepy and hungry and wondering it, 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 it better be real to us is all I'm going to say. David said, when my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. The Lord takes me up. He, he, he knew. And Moses knew. 
and, and it, I don't think there was, uh, there's not one person in heaven today, or I would say, that's ever known God and walked with God truly. If you ask them, was it worth it? To the man, to the woman, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. I would do it 10,000 times over again. I would do it 10,000, I would live 10,000 lives over again. Being sawn asunder and, and, and living destitute in animal skins and living in caves and clefts of the earth and, and being persecuted and, and uh, being thrown into the fire. You know, I would, and being thrown to the lions. And having, I, would, I would live that 10,000 times over. It's worth it. That was like but a moment. Paul calls them our light and momentary afflictions. What he went through. And I don't have time to read what he went through. I was reading about, uh, you know where it says he's listing the, the trials that he'd been through? You know, how many times he was stoned and how many times he was beaten? Uh, and it says he was beaten with rods. I think three times. And I thought, okay, well, they're whacking him with the rod. And it hurts. But I was doing, I was reading a little study on that. When it says beaten by rods, what the Romans would do as a form of torture, really, they would hang a, hang a man upside down, hang him by his ankles, basically, and they would get some man with a metal rod and beat him on the bottom of their bare feet. And it would shatter their bones in their feet. This was not just some, okay, put some bruises on me and beat me up like in a dark alley. This was for the purpose of being cruel and torture. And he's just listing it, all the different things, and shipwrecked, and how many nights out on the deep, and floating around in the ocean, and perils among his countrymen, and perils among strangers and the heathen. And he says he was beaten with rods. And that's what that's talking about. And then on top of that, consider everywhere he went, he walked. A few ship rods, okay? But basically everywhere from place to place on his mission trips, he walked. And his feet had been beaten. And so you'd say, Paul, is it worth it? Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll go back and start over tonight. Okay, I'll start it all over in the morning. The whole thing. Stretch it out for 500 years, I'll do it again. It's a light affliction. And it's not worthy to be compared to what the glory that's going to be revealed. And I just thank the Lord for that. The sufferings in this life have their limits. Aren't you glad? The eternal glory with Christ is no limits. In duration and glory and, and the fullness and everything. It's just going to be joy unspeakable. Alright? But the sufferings in this life are limited. They're limited in their, their duration. They're limited in their intensity. God's limiting it. He's buffeting it. He's, he's setting the limits and the boundaries. Just like we've read about in Job's life. And so, uh, I thank the Lord that that once, once we're in that glory, it's going to be the same for us. All the misunderstandings and all the separations and all the antagonists and everything coming against our life is just going to kind of wash away. The things that seem so huge and overbearing now that are unpleasant and the loss of friends or ridicule or whatever it may be, all that's going to fade away. We go, what, what was that again? I don't even remember that. I'm looking at the Lord. I'm in the presence of God. And so we... We, uh, our hope has to be in the Lord. It has to be our faith and our trust, okay? God's the one working in us. You say, well, I'm not measuring up. Boy, I go through trials and I'm really not coming through like a champ. I'm really not coming through like Moses or like Paul. 
Well, don't panic. Just he, All He needs is your will. He wants you to press in. And like Paul, Peter's talking about in this epistle, in this chapter, that God gives that grace. There's more grace. It's strength that we need. It's wisdom. It's comfort. And uh, He's going to perfect us. He's going to do that work. And we'll close with this, these last few thoughts. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week. But it says, after you have suffered a while, what's the Lord going to do? The Lord's going to make you perfect. That means complete. Okay? Establish and strengthen. Those two words pretty much mean the same thing. And settle you. Establish and strengthen. It means that He's going to put you and establish you on a firm foundation. We talk all all the time about Jesus being the rock and the foolish man built on the sinking sand. Christ is that rock that stands forever. Everything's beating on us and beating around us and coming against our lives. And guess what? The storm's over and I'm still standing. How did that happen? Because Christ strengthened me and established me on Christ, on the rock. And so that's what that means. And Daniel said, when he's seen these visions, you know, the Lord showed him these end times visions of Antichrist, and he saw some horrible things uh, that are going to come to pass in the end times. And he says he was sick. He was physically sick after he'd seen the Antichrist and these different things. It says, There came it again and touched me like uh, me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. God sent someone to strengthen him, just like Jesus when he finished the 40 day temptation. And he, de- and he defeated Satan with the Word of God and didn't give in to the temptations. Angels came and ministered to him and strengthened him. God strengthens us as well. And I want to close with this thought. You know, when we're going through trials, we might say, if this is supposed to make me more like Jesus, or if this is supposed to produce growth in my life, and it is, we know that. We know that's biblically correct. Okay? And, and we say, well, I don't see it. I don't see the growth in my life. I feel like I'm set back. I feel like I'm more immature than I was before. We just are going to have to trust the Lord that God's working in us both to will and do of His good pleasure. We're going to just have to trust and say, Lord, I'm pathetic. And, I, and by this trial, I'm seeing how pathetic I really am. I'm not nearly as far along as I thought I was. But I'm going to just hang on to you. Give me more grace. Give me more wisdom. Give me strength. You're going to have to not only help me, you're going to have to basically do it for me today. You're going to have to carry me through it today. I don't even need just some help. I need you to do it. You know, the whole thing. And, and God's t- teaching us to depend upon Him. And He sees the work that's taking place. We're not to compare ourselves by ourselves. The Bible says as Christians. We, our standard is Christ and He is able to weaken us and clean that dross off and that impurities. And, and He's doing it when we say, I just don't see it. I don't see the growth. I don't see the Christ-likeness in my life being increased. All I see is a trial. Trust in the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. You know when, when Elisha and Elijah were walking along and it was the day that uh, God was going to take Elijah up in the fiery chariot. So Elisha's sticking close with me. You know, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Elijah says, no, stay here in this little town. No, I'm sticking with you. Okay? He knew what was going to happen. It was revealed to them what was going to happen. So he's sticking with them, and this fiery chariot swoops down from heaven and separates the two men and takes Elijah up to heaven where he is today. And Elisha's right there. And you know what? 
he might not have felt any different at that moment. It was an amazing sight. He got to see it. And, ooh, wow. Okay? But he might not have felt any different in himself. But you know what? He was different. He had prayed for. What was he prayed for? Elijah said, okay, that's what you want. You said when uh, you want a double portion of the anointing that was upon my life. And he says, if you're with me and see me when I'm taken away, you're going to get it. You're going to receive that from God. And so he might not have felt any different like, oh, I feel a double portion of anointing. He might not have, but he was different. Because he had crossed back over that Jordan River that Elijah had just parted. And he's got to go back home or where he's from. And he's got to get back across that river. And Elijah's not there to part the river this time. And Elisha takes that same mantle that fell from, from Elijah. And he smites the water and says, where's the God of Elijah? He didn't feel it, perhaps. The Bible doesn't tell us that he felt like Superman. But he was different. There was a difference in his life that God had worked. And the waters parted. And people that were watching stand nearby noticed they took note. The Lord's here with Elisha. God's got His hand upon him. This is a true prophet of God. And people took notice. And so we might not always notice um, the working of God in the trials. It's okay. Maybe we would get prideful if we did. Maybe we think we've reached some plateau and we don't have to go through anymore. But just He wants us to just hold on to Him. Stay close to Him and trust Him. Amen? And I just want to, want to close with that. That we would, we would go out with a blaze of glory, so to speak, like, like Elijah. Just in the sense that uh, we ought to be giving God the glory amid the trials and in the midst of the hatred that comes against us and blasphemies and contradiction of sinners against ourselves. That we would be lifting up praises to God and glorifying and magnifying the Lord for His goodness, for His grace, for His strength, for His hand upon His life, for His wisdom, for the glory that we're going to be partakers of and see one day, for the future that He has for us. And uh, He just wants us to go go out that way. And I just pray that this, this study has been a blessing to us all. I know it has been to me. But the, the altars are open. I just want us to pray for a few minutes tonight. And just the trials that you're going through, again, we've talked a lot about trials. And we prayed a lot about trials. But let, let God have His perfect way. If we, but yield to Him and trust Him. Go to the Scriptures. Open up the Bible. Say, Lord, I understand You're not being cruel. I'm going through a trial because You're making me more like Jesus. I'm going through a trial because You're teaching me to be more dependent upon You. And I'm going through a trial... I said, I'll learn your grace and your goodness and call upon you. And one day it's all going to end. And it could be very soon, y'all. It's not just some fairy tale that's way down the road that's never going to happen. Some generation, y'all, is going to be the generation of believers that's raptured. Amen? That's living on the earth. It wasn't Paul's generation. He's with the Lord now. His body will be raised incorruptible. But there will be some generation of believers on this planet walking around like we are, men, women, and children, they're going to be living when the rapture comes. And we're going to see this glory. And it could be us. In fact, the Bible says, live like it's you. Live like it's going to be in your day. So Father, we come before You in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, we thank You, Lord. We're tired. We get tired and it's pitiful how tired we get because we're really not going through anything compared to what many of Your children go through. But Lord, we get tired. We get run down. 
the world grinds away at us. Our adversary comes against us. Our own flesh, God, is weak and tired and gives in too often, God. And we take our eyes from a high gaze upon Jesus and we let it kind of drift away to the, the carnal world around us, God. And Father, when we do that, then fear comes in. When we do that, uh, just uneasiness comes into our lives, God. Lord, help us, Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We've heard, heard Your Word tonight that says that the God of all glory who's called us unto glory after we have suffered a while is going to make us perfect and strengthen and, and settle and establish us. You're going to do it. And You are doing it. And God, I thank You for Your working in our lives. God, grow us in grace and grow us in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and grow us in Christ and help us to trust You Help us to give You praise and glory with our lips, God, and with our mouths and with our hearts and with our lives, even right in the midst of uh, the hardest tribulations and trials. Thank You that You're with us in the fire and You never leave us alone. Thank You that it's worth it. Just like with Moses, it was worth it. It's worth it in our lives, God. Use us to provoke and exhort and encourage one another. We need it. There's times I'm down and I need someone to encourage me with the Word of God or a prayer. And I need to be doing that in others' life and in my own life, God. We love you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Take just a few minutes to pray.